right, folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Part of the Mile High Sports Podcast family, and I am excited to discuss the Pacific Division with you that features three legit contenders in the West. This is a big division, and this is one that Nuggets fans probably have some ire for. Uh, Nuggets fans probably have some fond memories for. Uh, Michael Malone probably hates all of these teams, uh, at least to some degree. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this division plays out, how these teams look in the regular season. Though I do think three of them will probably be standing in the way of the Denver Nuggets getting out of the Western Conference more so than any of the other teams. Minnesota, probably going to be pretty good, but probably not great. Dallas, Memphis, New Orleans, probably in the same or so tier. The three Pacific teams are the ones that I am most worried about stopping Denver before they actually can make their stuff happen. They've had the most success in the recent years. Uh, Actually, that's not necessarily two of them have had success in recent years. The Clippers kind of been stopped short by the Nuggets one year, by injuries in another couple. And we're going to have to see how that plays out this season, because I think all three of those teams have championship expectations going in. And whether those actually bear out in reality, we're just going to have to wait and see. But here I want to go in the first segment, we're going to talk about what each of these teams did. Uh, The Golden State Warriors, the LA Clippers, the Los Angeles Lakers, the Phoenix Suns, and the Sacramento Kings. Talk about what each of those teams did this past offseason that kind of changes their fortunes. Second segment, we'll talk about how Denver matches up with them. And third segment, we'll kind of go through some odds and ends, including about FIBA qualifiers. So before we get into those things, let's talk about what the teams did. Let's start with Golden State winning NBA champions over this last season. Out goes Gary Payton II, Otto Porter Jr., and Nemanja Bielitsa. In comes Dante DiVincenzo and uh, former Nugget Jamichael Green, who, when he was traded to the Oklahoma City Thunder, agreed to a buyout and then signed with the Warriors. Didn't know whether that was going to happen, but apparently they recruited him. They wanted him. They played against him in the first round, and though he didn't, though he wasn't really successful in terms of his actual on-court output, it's not all about on-court output with a guy like Jermichael Green. He may play in a playoff rotation, but he also might not. It might be some of the other guys, the young guys that step up, and they have a lot of young guys. It's kind of interesting to think about what those guys are going to do in the upcoming seasons because they were drafted three, three lottery picks. It's pretty interesting that a a championship caliber team, a championship winning team, has three lottery picks that are so young, that are so recent. So it's just a very unique situation. More responsibility for Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, and maybe even James Wiseman, who kind of went off the face of the earth last year with his injury on the receiving end of some jokes, but he's still a seven foot one athletic as hell center and probably just needs reps in order to figure out how to play basketball. And with the Warriors, you need to know how to play basketball before you do anything else, even athleticism-wise. So 
That's why Kuminga didn't play as much last year in the playoffs. That's why Wiseman didn't play at all, though his was more injury-related. And it's why some other guys, like a, a Kelly Oubre Jr., didn't really work out. Andrew Wiggins, he figured his stuff out. He figured out how to be a basketball player, how to be the best version of himself with a team like the Warriors. And as a result, they won a title because of his contributions. Their rotation is still stacked. Even if you just take their top six guys, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, Kevon Looney, that's their starting lineup. And then Jordan Poole is going to be their sixth man. They might even start Jordan Poole at some points. The Curry-Poole duo is just so dynamic, both off the dribble and kind of off screens, that it might make sense at some points for them to go with Poole over Clay Thompson or Poole over Kevon Looney and just go really small. And that's what they did against Denver. The Nuggets fans, like I think y'all know just how dynamic the Warriors are. Obviously, Denver didn't have Murray and Porter. That's definitely a big deal. But I think all Nuggets fans also know that even if those guys come back, this would have been a really, really tough series. Denver might still have lost. The Warriors just have this dynamic talent. And though they need probably two more players outside of those top six to step up and be rotation caliber, they do have a rotating cast of people that could fill that role, like Like I said, Dante DiVincenzo and Jermichael Green could fill that role at various points. DiVincenzo, stock pretty low right now, but he was a massive contributor to the Milwaukee Bucks in their championship season before going down with an injury, and they just happened to have uh, Pat Connaughton and I think George Hill stepped up at that point. So we're going to see what they ultimately do, but as long as they're healthy, I still view the Warriors as a contender. Steph Curry's game is going to continue to age really well. Klay Thompson should be better next year, not worse. Jordan Poole should be better next year, not worse. Draymond Green will see what his game looks like. They still haven't agreed to an extension with him. So he's kind of in the final year of his deal. That should be a major concern for everybody involved, but... Uh, Kevon Looney's not a not a slouch. As long as they're not going up against Nikola Jokic, that should be a pretty reasonable matchup. And even if they do, they still have the firepower to take advantage of Jokic on the other side. So I'm curious to see what that looks like this year around when everybody's a little bit more prepared for the Warriors. Now the LA Clippers. They are getting Kawhi Leonard and Paul George back. Such a big deal. Kawhi Leonard didn't play a single minute last year like Jamal Murray. And the Clippers, they definitely were more hampered as a result. They also missed Paul George for much of the year where he was kind of on and off for like the much of the season he started the year, but went out pretty early and then came back really late, missed their play-in game against uh, who I can't remember, I think against the Timberwolves. Uh, with COVID. And it was just a really, really bad situation for them where they just were suddenly out of the playoff picture, even though they could have given the Suns, the Warriors, whoever, a run for their money with the depth that they have. But they get Kawhi and PG back. Assuming those guys are healthy and ready to go by the playoffs, this is a stacked team. 
Nuggets fans know how good Norman Powell is. He was a solid third scorer against the Bla- when he was with the Blazers against the Nuggets in that series in 2021. Powell was very solid in that series. He wasn't a great defender, but he doesn't have to be when it comes to a team with Kawhi and PG and a lot of the other wings that they have. They're adding two top-tier wings to a wing-forward group. That includes Marcus Morris, Nick Batum, Robert Covington, Amir Coffey, and Brandon Boston Jr. Boston's a very talented player, probably not a major impact guy, but I've always liked Amir Coffey. I thought that he was very solid, and Robert Covington is the perfect kind of power forward, small ball center that any team needs. Nick Batum is a big Swiss Army knife. Those guys are good. And you also have Reggie Jackson, John Wall, Luke Kennard, and Terrence Mann in your backcourt, along with Avisa Zubac, of course, as your main center. They lost Isaiah Hartenstein because they didn't feel like they needed a second center. They couldn't really pay Hartenstein what he got in New York. And Hartenstein's good. No, no doubt about it. But I don't think there's a more talented team than the Clippers top to bottom right now. They have the most talent in the league. If those guys are healthy and if they fit together, which is a major concern because those guys haven't played together. Kawhi and PG have barely played at all. And now you're adding them to a group that includes all of those talented guys that for a lot of them, they're used to having the ball in their hands. Is this going to just be a your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn offense for the entirety of the season? They might work in some pick and rolls and some off-ball actions and whatnot, but it's going to be a lot of isolations and post-ups and just high pick and roll with trying to get a mismatch. That didn't work the last time the Nuggets played them, and it worked against the Utah Jazz because the Jazz, well, they're not as good as the Nuggets, but there's just no more talented team than the Clippers now. So we're going to see if that translates. Now, the Los Angeles Lakers, I met with Harrison Fagan and podcasted with him last week to go more in-depth on this, Uh, but the Lakers might be the most impacted team with no Kyrie Irving trade. Now they are stuck. They don't have another solution for Russell Westbrook unless Indiana or Utah is suddenly feeling jealous. I very much doubt that they are. Because it doesn't seem like they like the Lakers are willing to part with their two first round picks in order to convert Russ into a player that is more helpful for a LeBron James Anthony Davis team. They made a massive mistake, as I talked about with Harrison, and there just doesn't feel like a tenable solution while Russ is on that team. Because here's the thing if they don't make a trade, they're probably gonna start Westbrook, Lonnie Walker. LeBron, AD, and Thomas Bryant, which is insanity. That is insane. There is no way that a contender just two years ago is now starting that team when they still have their top two players. How did that happen? How did they make that into such a nightmare scenario? Now, their bench players are probably their most talented guys are all guards and wings mostly, but Kendrick Nunn, Austin Reeves, Taylor Horton Tucker, Troy Brown Jr., Juan Toscano Anderson. Are those guys impact players? I, I just don't think so. 
it's hard to really sell me on that. They do have Max Christie as their, their second round rookie, but when I mention Max Christie, their second round rookie, that's horrible. That is horrible. And unless LeBron can maintain what he's doing in what is his 20th season or whatever, at age 38, and then Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook can bounce back to the place that they were, this team is screwed. There's no reason to believe in them. So I don't think Nuggets fans really have to worry about them. They might be a more difficult matchup than some for the Nuggets because of their personnel and just kind of the the unique nature of their front court. But I just don't think it's going to matter. They're not going to do well against most other teams. So it just doesn't matter. Now, the Phoenix Suns, this was a big one because there just weren't very many changes to the Suns in the offseason. We all got to laugh at Suns fans thinking that Kevin Durant was a possibility, that they were going to trade him or trade for him and with only Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, and four first-round picks. That was never going to get it done. And so now they're kind of left high and dry with a team that lost in the second round of the playoffs last year to Luka Doncic and the Mavs in pretty disparaging fashion. And now they have to run it back. They handled the DeAndre Ayton situation poorly, in my opinion. I think it ruined that relationship in a lot of different ways. They've always wanted Mikhail Bridges to step up as that third best player rather than DeAndre Ayton. And I just don't really get it because he's, he's very capable. There's no doubt about that. He's a talented player, but they've pigeonholed him into some like this, this finishing role where he's just purely Rudy Gobert on offense. Rudy Gobert with a mid-range jumper, basically. And that's not what you're supposed to be doing with a number one overall pick. So I don't think it hurt them as much with the contract specifically, but it did hurt them with that relationship, which means any bit of trouble, any bit of kind of getting out of line certainly might make this more difficult. They didn't really do anything else to their rotation either. They're bringing back campaign as the the backup point guard, which is fine. Uh, They still have Cam Johnson, who's good. Cam Johnson's really good coming off the bench, but is he great? No, absolutely not. And then Dario Saric is going to be returning from, I think, a torn ACL. So we'll see how he plays kind of coming off the bench and whether he can turn himself back into the player he was before he got injured. But what does that really change for the Suns? It's going to make their offense fantastic when he plays small ball five. There's no doubt about it. He's a smart player. He can move. Uh, he's a he's a good passer from the position. But can they defend with that unit out there? Probably not. Chris Paul's getting older. Jay Crowder's getting older. Devin Booker's a good defender now, or at least not bad. Mikael Bridges is great. But can he do everything? No. So I'm just not sure what the plan was there. They, they didn't really add to a group that I think needed some additions. They brought back Landry Shamit, or they gave him an extension after the trade deadline, I'm pretty sure. And that hasn't really worked out for them because he's still with their fourth guard. 
And that's not good enough for what they gave him. And he's just not going to be a major impact piece in a playoff series. So I don't know. We're going to see. Uh, Phoenix was so good the last couple of years because they were so precise. They were the team that executed the best of any of them because they made these difficult shots. They converted on those possessions more than any other team in the NBA. Can they replicate that precision on both offense and defense again in a third straight season? Chris Paul doesn't like he's aging, but he's still very good. And Devin Booker has proven, I think, that he's a quality playoff player, that he's a borderline superstar in the playoffs. But is he in that top tier? Probably not. So he's not going to be able to make up for some of the other deficiencies on their roster if they pop up. And I just think that they will more so than in last years. But maybe I'm wrong. And finally, Sacramento Kings, they made a big move with Sabonis at last year's trade deadline. They also acquired Kevin Herter from the Hawks for I think it was uh, Justin Holiday and Mo Harkless. That was a bit of a steal. It kind of went under the radar, but Kevin Herter is a quality starting two guard. And he makes a lot of sense for a team with a Fox, a bonus pick and roll, because neither of those guys space the floor that well. Kevin Herter will. They drafted Keegan Murray with the fourth overall pick, and he should be a very solid player for the next 10 to 12 years. They added Malik Monk in free agency. Pretty solid scorer off the bench. You've got your starting lineup of Fox, Herter, Harrison Barnes, Keegan Murray, and Sabonis. It's a legit good lineup. Davion Mitchell coming off the bench, Malik Monk coming off the bench. They still have Trey Lyles, uh, which isn't really a bonus, but he's fine in a limited role. Uh, Rashawn Holmes is, like, other than the actual issues that he has uh, legally, he's a good player. They don't really have a backup three, which I think should be a little bit of a concern. They have a bunch of smaller guards. They've got some bigger forwards, but nobody really good on the wing. Uh, So that could be a big issue for them, especially if Barnes or Murray gets hurt. But they they do seem like a classic, you have to try against us team. They'll win about 35 games. They might win 33. They might win 38. They're probably not going to be a 500 team, but they could be close. And they're going to be a team that you have to make sure that you're dedicated against or they will surprise you. And the Nuggets have been surprised by the Kings and other teams in recent years when those teams kind of surprise with their effort. So that just, it makes the West that much deeper when a team like that that's projected to probably be the 12th or 11th seed in the West is a team that could surprise just about anybody. So we'll see what they do. But that's the moves in the Pacific Division. When we come back, we're going to talk about Denver's individual matchups with those teams. But first, as you know, this podcast is brought to you by Superbook Sports. The summer is almost over and the fall is almost here. There's no better time to make your first bet with Superbook Sports. Along with its usual vast betting menu, Superbook already has a lineup for every pro football game this fall. Plus, when you make your first deposit on the Superbook app or sign up at Superbook.com, They will match 100% of your money up to $500. It's never too early to start thinking about football at Superbook Sports. Place your bet and start winning today. 
Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the program. As always, if you can, it'd be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, probably going to be doing some more video podcasts in the future. Uh, as as the season gets closer, we're going to talk about what the, the setup is going to be. I'm probably going to be traveling with the team, not with the team a little bit, but following the games a little bit more so this year, and so... Going to be doing more of a beat reporter role, so that should be very interesting. I've always been more of an analyst, kind of able to share my opinions that way. Now I'm going to cover it a little bit differently, and so very curious to see how that's going to go, but I may be out in Salt Lake City for the home opener, and also in Golden State in San Francisco for the leadoff matchup on Friday night, October 21st. Should be very fun. But how do the Nuggets match up with the Warriors? How do they match up with each of these individual Pacific teams? The Warriors, we kind of know how this is going to go, independent of, we don't know the the full extent of the impact that added offensive firepower will have. The starters on each side are still going to have trouble with each other. I think that's pretty clear. You've got Murray, KCP, Porter, Gordon, Jokic on one side. You've got Steph. Clay, Wiggins, Draymond Green, Kevon Looney on the other side. Who on the Nuggets guards Steph? Not really sure. Uh, he's going to get free from KCP, from Murray, or in any switch situation against Denver's front court. feel like Curry is going to cook. And then Jokic, of course, he destroys Kevon Looney. And they're going to have Draymond on Jokic. In the, or not, they're going to have Draymond on Gordon in those situations in all likelihood, and then Wiggins will probably guard MPJ. Not sure how that's going to go, but I am very curious to see what those starters look like and whether Denver can win those minutes. It's the real question is when the Warriors' death lineup gets out there, what what's it going to look like when the Warriors go small, when they have these other guards? that can come in and really take advantage of Denver's slower system where they've got Jokic out on the perimeter, of course, and it's very difficult for him to get out to the perimeter while also covering the rim. Denver's got to figure that out, but they have a better defensive lineup to do it. If you've got Bruce Brown in there in place of MPJ, you can have Bruce Brown guarding Curry. He's probably the best player on Denver to really match up with Curry because he's athletic enough and quick enough to stay with him off of screens. You've got KCP probably guarding Jordan Poole. You could have Murray doing that if Murray shows the fleet of foot necessary to keep up with him. Right now I have Murray on clay. Feels like a good matchup for him coming off of screens. Aaron or Andrew Gordon on Oh, God. <laughs> Aaron Gordon on Andrew Wiggins. That's horrible. Uh, that's a good matchup for Denver, though. Like it, Gordon was forced onto one of the three guards in most of those matchups. 
last playoffs, and it just wasn't a good thing for Gordon. Now, if you put him on Wiggins, it's a little bit different. Denver can handle that a little bit better. And then you've got Jokic guarding Draymond Green. I don't think you can really help that. You can't have Jokic guarding Wiggins, though Denver could try. Like There's a possibility that they could try that in certain situations, though I do think that Wiggins would probably just screen for Curry or Poole or Clay, and then they'd try to generate a switch, and that's pretty tough. But for Denver, I think this is a little bit better. This is definitely a better setup, and as long as Denver can score at will on that death lineup, then should be fine. Will MPJ or Jordan Poole be the more impactful third scorer? That's probably a big difference. You know that Clay is going to get his. You know that Curry is going to get his. You know that Jokic and Murray are going to get theirs. Will MPJ be out there enough? Will Jordan Poole be out there enough to be the more impactful third scorer? Who's going to score 25 points on 12 shots? We know that both of them are capable. That's pretty clear based off of what we've seen these past couple years. But can MPJ do it while still defending enough to make it okay? Will Poole be able to do that without being taken advantage of? I was surprised that Denver didn't try to do that a little bit more in this last playoff run rather than hunting Steph, they probably should have hunted Jordan Poole and because Steph is just a much better defender than Poole. But can Denver defend against Golden State's best punch when Poole is out there, when Steph and Clay are out there too with Draymond at the five? That's their best offensive punch. Can Jokic do enough in space? Can Denver rotate behind him enough in space? They have a little bit better def- defensive supporting cast. But is that going to matter against the Golden State Warriors? It's, it didn't really matter for the Boston Celtics when they were trying to guard Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and all those guys. And Boston is a great defense. What can Jokic do? What can Denver do? It's a big question. Are Denver's guard defenders impactful enough? Which bench has the edge? Very, very curious to see what that looks like. Now, the LA Clippers. The Nuggets have shown the matchup. They've shown the ability to match up with this team with the Clippers at full strength. Jokic and Zubac, they both have success against each other, I've found. Like Zubac actually does pretty well. But Jokic does better. There's just different tiers to this. That's no doubt. The Murray-Jokic two-man game is going to be Denver's bread and butter. That is not changing. Even Kawhi Leonard or Paul George guards Murray, I feel pretty confident that Jokic and Murray can deal with that. They've shown the ability to do it over a full seven-game playoff series, and it didn't really matter in any of the matchups during the 2020-21 season either. Like That's still going to be fine for Denver. Murray, uh, on defense, Murray will probably... Oh, no, no. Here's I was, I was getting a little bit concerned, uh, confused. On defense, Murray will guard the point guard. KCP will guard Paul George. Aaron Gordon will guard Kawhi Leonard. Michael Porter will guard the other forward, whoever's out there, whether it's Marcus Morris, whether it's Nick Batum, whoever. And then Jokic will guard Zubac. Now, this gets a little bit different if, let's say, Norman Powell is out there in place of that other forward, then you probably need MPJ 
to either guard uh, Norman Powell, or the more likely thing is that KCP will slide over to Norman Powell, and then MPJ probably has to guard Paul George, which will be tough for him. But it also makes sense if he can handle it that Denver has to be able to get by that way because it just doesn't make sense for Denver to be so cross-matched all the time. But the thing about the Clippers is as great as their forward and wing core is, they're not going to be able to to deploy that against Denver as often as they will against other teams. They make so much sense when they're going up against the Suns or the Warriors or even the Jazz when the Jazz had Rudy Gobert. Gobert wasn't a good enough post-up center to make it matter. Jokic is. Jokic will post up whoever it is. He will force double teams, and Denver's good enough, cutting-wise, shooting-wise, especially with this group, that's just not going to matter. Like, whoever they leave open is going to get a bucket, at least frequently enough that it's not going to matter whether the Clippers defend that player or not. The Nuggets have that level of success in them. And even though Nicholas Batum had some success against Joker last year when Batum was kind of defending him in the post, denying, playing ball ball denial defense, they're not going to be able to do that this year. Because Faku Kampazo isn't going to be wide open at the three-point line. That's Jamal Murray now. That's just how that is. And even if it's Bruce Brown, I feel much better about Bruce Brown cutting behind that double team then I do Faku because Faku couldn't finish at the rim. Bruce Brown dunks. He gets up and finishes through contact. That's just how he does it. It was a little bit different with the Nets last year, but with the Nuggets, he should be even better as a finisher. So Bones and Brown, they're probably not going to be as helpful off the bench in this matchup due to the, the size concerns, the defensive concerns. The Clippers like to go switch hunting, but on offense, they're going to be helpful. Bones especially could be very helpful. He provides 20 points off the bench because he gets hot from three. And the Clippers probably don't have an answer for that. Or maybe they will. Maybe all these games will just be 130 to 125 and Denver just can't stop the Clippers enough. But I think they can. I think they've shown the ability to play quality defense against them enough that it's not going to make a difference. So, We'll see if this is the same kind of matchup. We'll see if Jeff Green, Zeke Naji can have some impact in a series like this. They're Denver's forwards off the bench, uh, forward slash bigs. Zeke Naji makes sense as a switch isolation defender against some of those guys. Jeff Green can probably handle that assignment some as well. I think Denver's well-equipped to guard the Clippers, more so than they are against the Warriors. Now, the Lakers, not sure whether to take this serious or not. The Lakers, they have two primary looks. Anthony Davis at power forward, Anthony Davis at center. AD at power forward, it likely forces MPJ to guard one of LeBron or AD, uh, just because you'll have Thomas Bryant and AD at the same time, uh, as along with LeBron, of course. And so LeBron probably gets guarded by Gordon, which means that MPJ probably guards Anthony Davis. Now, Anthony Davis at center, you can probably avoid putting MPJ on LeBron or AD, but Gordon will guard LeBron and Jokic will guard AD. Not sure which look is better for Denver. Kind of depends on who you think is the better matchup against the Lakers. I think it's probably Jokic. So AD at center is 
probably fine for Denver because the Lakers specifically don't have enough spacing around the LeBron AD pick and roll, even if they have three guards or three wings out there. They're probably not good enough in that regard to make it such a big deal. Denver can kind of collapse the paint a little bit and help out Jokic in those situations. And Denver also can always play big ball. They can put MPJ at the two. Jeff Green and Zeke Naji come in and they play next to Gordon. Jokic still out there. That's an intriguing look and it still doesn't really hurt Denver's offense that much because if Zeke Naji is standing in one corner, Aaron Gordon is standing in another, and then MPJ is kind of on the wing, and you've got a Murray Jokic pick and roll, that's fine. That's actually pretty good. I don't know how the Lakers can slow down Denver scores. Like, they haven't shown an ability to slow down Jokic of late. They never showed an ability to slow down Murray. MPJ, they just don't have the matchups for him either. Like, they don't have any forwards outside of LeBron or AD, and those guys aren't really good spot-up defenders. MPJ just shoots right over LeBron. That's not a big issue for him. So I'm very curious to see how that plays out. Those those Lakers matchups should still be fun. There's no doubt about it, but I just don't think the Lakers can guard Denver. And it was a much different story the last time those two teams matched up in the playoffs because – They had the formula to go against Denver, but Thomas Bryant and Anthony Davis is not the same as Dwight Howard and Anthony Davis when they're both being as physical and uh, the league really wanted the Lakers to get into the finals. That's kind of how that went. But nothing about the Lakers bench gives me cause for concern either. Now, if they trade Westbrook for Miles Turner and Buddy Heald or for Mike Conley and Patrick Beverly or... Boyan Bogdanovich or somebody like that, maybe I will reconsider my stance. But for now, I just don't respect the Lakers. Phoenix Suns, though, I I still respect them. It's the same premise as the 2021 playoffs. But instead of Faku Campazzo and Austin Rivers out there in the starting lineup, you can have Jamal Murray and Kentavious Caldwell-Pope. You have Bones Highland coming off the bench and hopefully a better version of Michael Porter Jr. that's learned a little bit from his mistakes. That's the hope. And one of the kind of under-discussed factors in the Suns matchup, Murray, we know, kills the Suns, but he kills Mikael Bridges specifically. There's no doubt about it that Bridges struggles with Murray probably more so than any other player in the NBA. Maybe not Kevin Durant or LeBron or somebody like that, but even so, Murray Jokic pick and roll has really shown to be Phoenix's kryptonite in a lot of situations. Now, the Nuggets couldn't get a single stop against the Suns when it mattered in the playoffs, but you add KCP and Bruce Brown into that mix, and maybe Denver can field both a stronger offense and defense going into those matchups now. Let's say you take... MPJ off the court and you put in Bruce Brown. I think you have Bruce Brown on KCP. You have K- or you Bruce Brown on CP3. You have KCP on Booker. Jamal Murray on Jake Crowder. Aaron Gordon on Mikhail Bridges. And then Jokic on Eaton. You could also put Aaron Gordon on Jake Crowder and then Murray on Mikhail Bridges. And that's probably not a big difference. 
And Denver's still going to have to play in space. They're still going to have to figure it out. I think Jokic is going to have to blitz more in this matchup. He's going to have to be full of energy. He's still going to have to be able to press up and guard as close to the ball as he possibly can while avoiding those passes into the middle of the lane. But Denver's going to have to figure that out. They're going to have to make sure that their better point of attack defenders are really making that level of impact. They could also mix in some drop coverage and really test that theory. But the big premise of the Suns has always been that they can make those snake jumpers where you get into the mid-range, you snake around the pick and roll, you find the open pocket of space, and then you hit a tough shot. Can Denver make that pocket of space even smaller? Can they contest that even better? And will the Suns hit that at the same level that they have in recent matchups? I don't know. We're going to have to see. But I do know that the Nuggets are just going to be so much better against the Suns from an offensive perspective. There's no doubt in my mind. The Murray-Okic pick and roll, as I mentioned, Mikhail Bridges struggles struggles against it. Murray, when he was guarded by Bridges the last season before he was hurt. 12 of 21 from the field, 2 of 4 from 3, 5 assists, 2 turnovers. Denver scored pretty much at will when they went to that matchup. And Aiton has to respect that when he's guarding Jokic, which means Jokic is going to be left more open in the middle of the floor. As long as Murray kind of gets back to the place where he was, I don't see any reason why he can't, then Denver should have that bread and butter action back in their pocket. The question is whether they can add on top of that. Can Michael Porter Jr. find a role in this matchup? He was taken advantage of the last time these two teams played. Can he be effective enough on offense to kind of quell the concerns in his defensive production? I think so, but we're going to have to see. Actually, I think it's even more different. Who guards Denver starters? Because if Mikhail is on Jamal Murray, KCP probably has to be on... uh, I keep doing this. CP3 probably has to guard KCP because he's not tall enough or big enough to guard the other two forwards, which means that Booker is going to be on one of Gordon or MPJ, and then Crowder will be on the other of those. Aiden on Jokic. Like if Mikhail defeats, or if he's defeated by Murray in those situations, then it doesn't really make sense for them to do that. They might actually flip that matchup. They might need Mikhail Bridges on on MPJ and have Booker on Jamal Murray instead. And no matter what, having those two guys back that the Suns have to account for is going to be a big problem for them. If those guys each put up about 60% true shooting on high volume, on top of what Jokic already does, then Denver's crystal. They are perfectly fine in that matchup. It doesn't matter what the Suns do on the other end. They're not going to, like, the tougher shots that they have to hit, the Nuggets are going to generate easy ones. Or at least the shots that they generally generate against that team. I think this is going to be a much better matchup for Denver. Bruce Brown should be really helpful. Mikhail Bridges is going to be a good matchup against Denver. But KCP should really help. Michael Porter Jr. is going to come back with a vengeance. Jamal Murray, obviously, same thing. This should be better for Denver. 
Now, finally, Sacramento Kings, not going to spend as much time here. Bruce Brown probably guards De'Aaron Fox a lot in fourth quarters, which means that MPJ probably sits. Or maybe Aaron Gordon sits. Maybe this is a matchup where you have MPJ at the four, Jokic at the five. And you've got Bruce Brown on Fox. You've got Murray guarding Kevin Herter, guys like that. Jamal's going to do his thing against the Kings, though. There's nobody on that team that can really guard him. And as long as MPJ can stay on the floor consistently to match up with Harrison Harrison Barnes, Keegan Murray, there should be no doubt in my mind, in anybody's mind, that the Nuggets should win this matchup. One question. Bones was guarded by Davion Mitchell last year, and he struggled in that matchup. Can he turn that one around, or is Denver's bench going to be significantly impacted? Is Kevin Herter going to change the trajectory of this matchup where around those Fox to bonus actions, is Kevin Herter also going to hit six threes? It's a big question. So if that swings a game, if that swings a matchup, then that's tough. But I think they play each other three times this year. Denver should go 3-0. and If they don't, and if they go 2-1, and it's fine. But if they really lose this matchup, that's that's one that, that could be really tough, and that could really be the difference in seeding. So hopefully they take this matchup seriously. I'm sure Michael Malone will try his damnedest to have them up for this matchup. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to wrap up with some odds and ends. We'll be right back. Final segment, pickaxe and all. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Let's wrap up this pod by talking about why a playoff run through the Pacific Division would be so sweet for Denver, and then we'll go over some news and notes after that. This would be such a sweet, sweet revenge tour. Because if you have all three of those playoff teams, let's say you face them all. Say you happen to face, I don't know, the... Suns in the first round. No, we'll go go with the the Clippers in the first round. Say Denver's the fourth seed and they face the fifth seed. You get that sweet revenge against people that said that this was a bubble fluke, that the Nuggets are there just a bubble fluke. They haven't done anything since the bubble. Obviously, that was just a a misclick. And there's a lot of Clippers uh, propaganda after the bubble that basically said, oh, yeah, that was fake basketball. There's a lot of other people that also kind of agree that it was fake basketball. This would go a long way in declaring that that was real and that Denver is a better team than the Clippers, and that would be really, really fun. And you have the Suns and the Warriors kind of mixed in that. Let's say you you face the Suns first in the second round of the playoffs and the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. Oh, how sweet that would be if you could get through the Suns If you beat them in four games, that would be so sweet. I don't think it's going to happen like from from a four-game perspective, but I would pick the Nuggets over the Suns right now. I think the Nuggets are in a different place than they were in those playoffs, obviously. You get a better player in Murray. You get a better version of Michael Porter Jr. and Nikola Jokic, and then you have better personnel to throw at the Suns defensively than you did in previous in the previous matchup. So, like, think about it. Monte Morris was out there pretty consistently. 
Faku, not a good matchup against that team. He couldn't really defend anybody. Austin Rivers, though he did a good service for Denver, he was clearly overmatched in that matchup and isn't a good defender when compared to other good defenders. He was Denver's best defender, but that was like, I I don't know. That's like saying uh, it's just you're the best of a bunch of bad options. Like that was the situation. Now they have KCP and Bruce Brown. Those are two strong defenders that they can throw at pretty much anybody on the perimeter and be fine. And then if you get to the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals, that's a good vindication because it shows that Denver can get through a team that spaces them out to that degree. Jokic kind of goes through Kevon Looney, and he's, he's matched up with Draymond Green in the past and now knows exactly how to approach that matchup and then kind of fights through that. And if Denver has the requisite defenders in that matchup, like a KCP or Bruce Brown, those guys will still loom large. Denver's going to need more than that, I think. But that's a great start. If you've got Murray and MPJ to kind of take you over the top in each of those individual matchups, it would be so, so fun. It would tell everybody, oh yeah, Denver was missing two of their top players. And one of those players against the Suns. And there's a reason why the Suns won in four games. It's because they didn't have Jamal Murray. That was a big deal. And Suns fans like to downplay that. Now we'll see what happens when he's back. You get to make up for lost time against the teams that eliminated Denver. And hypothetically, even if you don't face, let's say, the Clippers, let's say the Nuggets are like a one seed or a two seed and they face the Lakers, who won the play-in tournament. They're the seven seed. Denver's the two. The Nuggets face the Lakers in the first round. How fun would it be to sweep that team? My God. You play twice at home. You set the tone at home, win both of those matchups, and then you go into into Crypto Arena twice and level them twice. That'll be so fun. I don't see any way that Denver loses that series because they have the best player on the court. That simple. A couple of news and notes here before we get out of here. This is a longer podcast than I anticipated. Jokic and Serbia will play Giannis and Greece tomorrow. Today is August 24th in European time. Basically, it's, it's going to be a little bit different, obviously. For those listening to this podcast, maybe that matchup is already taking place. So keep an eye on that. I know that the DNVR crew is in Serbia right now. I'm pretty sure that matchup is taking place in Belgrade, if I'm not mistaken. So what a way for their matchup, for their trip to go out. I really hope that Jokic and Serbia win that game because I want to see them compete in the World Cup. I want to see Jokic have an opportunity to win a gold medal. I think if you gave him truth serum, Jokic might be more interested in a gold medal even than he is in an NBA title because he does care about his country, despite the fact that he didn't play for them in some of the recent events. Some points he just needed rest. He was so tired. So now he's in a situation where he can play. I hope it goes well. It's kind of a preview to Eurobasket. Uh, We will see what that looks like when September hits, but Jokic and Serbia will play. Then in another four days, Serbia will play Turkey. Serbia has to basically win out in order to make that happen, in order to qualify. 
So we're going to see whether they can do that. I'm hopeful. Finally, uh, the KD Kyrie Sega looks like it's it's on hold, at least at the moment. They apparently met on Monday and came to at least an understanding where they're going to enter the season and they're going to try to get through it and compete. I don't know whether that's actually going to happen, whether that'll take place, but it does seem like the trade offers for Kevin Durant were pretty underwhelming, at least not to the level that Sean Marks and the Nets really wanted to move him. And now you look at that team with Brooklyn, you've got Kevin Durant, you've got Kyrie Irving. We'll see if you have Ben Simmons. Assumably you have Ben Simmons. That's a pretty strong big three if those guys are all on the court. So maybe they figure it out. Maybe they find out that talent kind of wins out as long as that talent works hard and plays together. Maybe Joe Harris comes back and is healthy and ready to go. They've got Seth Curry. They've got Nick Claxton as one of their bigs. They don't really have another quality big. If they get that person, or maybe at least a a center that can stretch the floor a little bit for a guy like Ben Simmons, that would probably be helpful for them. Maybe they play Simmons at the five and they go pretty small and they just try to play switch everything and isolate. I don't know if that's going to happen, but it would be pretty interesting to watch. So obviously the no KD or Kyrie trade really affects some teams more than others. I mentioned the Lakers earlier. I mentioned it definitely was a big deal for the Suns. Definitely a big deal for the Celtics and the Heat and any team like maybe the Raptors that had thrown a a trade proposal at Kevin Durant and the Nets. But for now, looks like they're going to stay east. Maybe this means that uh, Denver's in a good position to not have to deal with Kevin Durant in the Western Conference. That's a good thing for them. Kyrie Irving, if he had went to the Lakers, it would have made the Lakers at least competitive more so. Now, I don't really see it. So we're going to see. But for now, That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Really appreciate all the love and support on the program. I'll be back on Friday, where we react to Jokic in Serbia versus Giannis and Greece in the World Cup qualifier. Hopefully that's a win. Hopefully we get to talk about something positive. Maybe we'll get a guest on for that episode and uh, talk about what Jokic and Serbia have done. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys very soon.